make sure that you are diversified, right? I mean, if, if your strategy has been heavily relying on Facebook to get traffic, diversify outside of traffic. Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, where we're dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And I believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. If you're struggling with scaling your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriceye.io slash connect to learn more. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honest E-Commerce. I'm Chase Clymer. And today, I'm bringing to uh, the show... Uh, he just shared with me a little bit in the pre-show about uh, being one of the first people doing the thing on eBay. So this is going to be a great conversation. Nowadays, he is the president and co-founder of DFO Global, Jordan Rollband. Welcome to the show. Hey, Chase. Uh, thanks for having me on. Hi to everybody uh, listening. Awesome, awesome. So take me back to uh, to eBay. So were you using eBay before PayPal? I was using eBay before PayPal. So um, I was working, uh, at, you know, during high school. I was I was working in New York City um, at an antique flea market. Uh, my father's business. I was helping him out on the weekends, and um, I had no interest in his business whatsoever. So he was dealing in um, antiques, antique prints, and books, and other like tchotchkes, I would call them. Um, but I met a gentleman there that was uh, selling watches, and I approached him and basically said, "Like, hey, I know you know my dad, but I'm not interested in his business. I, I'm really interested in watches. I'm fascinated by watches. Do you have it? Like, you know, could you give me a job?" And he kind of laughed, and he was like, "Well, what do you know about watches?" I'm like, "Nothing other than that they look really awesome." So he said, "Well, I'm not going to give you a job, but I'll tell you what I can do. You can work um, if it's okay with your dad. You could work for me um, as an apprentice." Um, you know, for the next few months. And um, basically, you know, he had the conversation with my dad. I talked to him um, on a Sunday night, basically agreed that I would take on this apprenticeship um, with this gentleman. And for the next uh, three months, I basically worked as his apprentice. Um, I worked for him on a Saturday and Sunday. Um, you know, the days were very long and grueling. So, um, you know, I'd be out there somewhere around four o'clock in the morning. We'd work till six o'clock at night. Um, I wasn't getting paid for any of this, but basically I got an education in watches. And after three months, he gave me a few watches. He said, Hey, here's some watches. Um, you know, I'd like you to try to sell these and whatever you make on the watches will split the profits. So I took the watches. Um, there were five of them. I took the five watches. I bought them back to, to my buddies, um, you know, at home and wound up selling them all that week. And I came back and I said like, Hey, I sold those five watches. Do you have any more? Um, because I have some other people looking for watches. Anyway, fast forward a year, I turned this into a small little business. He set me up with my own booth at the flea market. So I was running a booth there. Um, I was also then selling watches to friends, family, um, getting referrals, and, and had built a nice little watch business. And um, you know, one day I was, was at home and um, just you know, kind of doing some like research on, on, on the watch market and how I could expand. And I came across uh, eBay. And this is, I don't know, I think sometime around 1997. Um, so did a little research on eBay and, and you know, how to become a seller there. And you know, I was talking to my dad that night. And um, I was like, hey, I'm gonna, you know, I think I'm going to start selling these watches on eBay. And he was like, oh, that's amazing. Like, why don't we also set up a store so I could sell some of my stuff on eBay? So I wound up working with him, um, set up a store. 
And basically within a matter of a few weeks, um, was up and running on eBay, um, had, had, you know, thrown up a few watches and, um, didn't really know what to expect. Um, and I think actually what happened is I wound up really underestimating the market because pretty much all of the product that I put up on, on eBay within the first few days was, was already gone. Um, so I, I saw that there was obviously something here. So I started listing more watches. Um, I was taking watches from the gentleman that I was working for or working with, basically putting as many as of those watches on. Um, and then also at this point, I had made some of my own connections. So I was basically just rounding up all these different watches from watch dealers in New York City to sell on eBay. Um, the, you know, the business really took off. Um, I became one of eBay's first power sellers. You know, we had really figured out that there was some serious money to be made on the platform there. Um, and this is obviously all pre-PayPal. Uh, and you know, once PayPal was then introduced into the platform, well, eBay dramatically changed. Um, you know, I think my my business at that point had had really grown. I, you know, as a young guy, I'd made some some pretty decent money, uh, but I also had different interests at, at that point. And um, well, I, I basically let the store go. Um, you know, I I was going to college. I I had an opportunity to, to take a, a, a you know sort of a partnership or a job with a friend of mine doing something completely outside of what I was doing on eBay, and and I wanted to learn some new skills. So. Um, no, I, the time I was spending basically now was rolled into something else. And, um, well, I think that, you know, that next career path, I wouldn't say it was what directly led me to where I am today, but I think indirectly it sort of laid that foundation to, to bring me to this point. Absolutely. So let's talk about this point now. So fast forward, uh, what is 20 something years? Uh, now you were in 2019. This is probably going to come out the week of Black Friday, if I have my math right. Uh, so what are you up to these days? Amazing. Yeah. So um, as you mentioned, I'm the president and co-founder of uh, DFO Global Performance Commerce. Uh, we're a performance marketing agency uh, that specializes in e-commerce. Um, the business is six and a half years old. I uh, started with uh, 10 people uh, in two different offices. So one in, um, one in Vancouver, Canada, and, and the other one here in New York City, where I'm currently based. Um, you know, and if I fast forward to today, we're now nine offices uh, with about 350 employees. Um, and we specialize in all facets of, of e-commerce. Uh, so you know, we, we build out technology that, you know, the backend technology that powers e-commerce, right? So we have um, a similar platform to Shopify that basically powers the whole backend of our business that we've built internally. Um, you know, I, I say Shopify, but really it's, it's sort of like Shopify meets ClickFunnels, right? So it has all of the functionality of a, a full service CRM um, with an integrated funnel builder that basically allows us to make creatives for all of our different e-commerce projects, um, you know, utilizing drag and drop methodologies. Um, we also do all of our own fulfillment. So any of the products that we're selling, we're fulfilling for ourselves. Um, we've set up fulfillment centers in Asia, Europe, and um, and the US. So, you know, as the name, right, DFO Global, um, we're truly a global company. Uh, we sell into um, somewhere between 60 and 70 different markets, depending on the product. Um, so we've built systems and obviously we've, you know, fulfillment centers, et cetera, to, to essentially service that business. We also do all of our own customer service internally. Um, and then I think really the, you know, the, the big part of our business, which is what bought us here and really what I was doing before we, you know, I started DFO, 
um, is really focused around buying and selling media. So, um, you know, we're, we're experts in the ability to buy media um, at very high volumes off of all the major platforms. So, I mean, obviously, you know, over the last 10 years, Facebook and Instagram, well, at least Facebook and, and more recently Instagram, um, you know, have been a big part of our business. Um, but we also specialize in running, um, you know, traffic via Google, whether it's AdWords or the Google Display Network. Um, and then over the last few years, we've gotten really good at buying traffic through all the different native sources, um, you know, Outbrain and Cibula specifically. Um, but we also do a lot of direct site buying. So we're still working with some of the, uh, you know, some of the older prop- properties such as Yahoo or MSN, where we have direct relationships with them. And basically, we're doing anywhere from two to three buys per week on each one of those platforms. Cool. That's so awesome. The, the growth of your business. So I'm going to ask a really heated question at this point. Sure. Because a, a lot of our listeners are small businesses. They're just getting started. Maybe they've got those first couple of wins under their belt. When do you think is the right time uh, for a business to start thinking about paid media? Well, you know, it's a good question. I mean, for us, it's um, because that's where I started. That was, you know, that was our approach from day one, right? Like, fortunately, as a business between myself and my partner, I I had some success before we started this business. He had also been very successful, so the business wasn't necessarily bootstrapped. Um, I think at some point, I mean, we obviously had to decide in terms of growth, like what that growth strategy would look like. But I mean, we basically had enough capital to get the business up and running and take on this paid media approach. So I'd say for anyone that has the ability to do so, um, I think it's it's really critical in terms of being able to help propel growth, right? So um, you know, you can certainly grow a business and I have some other businesses that I'm involved in, um, you know, where you can utilize social media, you can utilize um, you know, really any form of like non-paid media to help grow the business. But, you know, when you're talking about e-commerce and I mean, especially when you're talking about the ability to sell product, right. And, and we're thinking right now, like outside of like building a brand where, you know, essentially when you're building out brands, it's a, it's a whole different methodology that you're using. But if you're talking about the ability to sell products, really it's time to market, um, the speed in which you can, you know, buy and sell that product, the speed in which you can fulfill that product and get that, cons- that product directly to your consumers and your ability to buy media better than those that you're competing against for similar type products on the same media platforms, right? So, um, you know, having that paid media approach, I, I think is very critical to the overall success of the, of the products that you're trying to sell. So if you can implement those strategies and, you know, we're not talking about a strategy where you need a ton of budget um, immediately, but the reality is, is that you need to be able to spend enough money um, to figure out your metrics to un- and, and then really analyze that and make sure that the product that, you know, you're going to sell is going to be viable, um, at least for, you know, my opinion, at least for six to nine months. That's all fantastic advice. Um, I mean, I think just to kind of peel it back to one statement, like unless you're funded, do not go into debt with paid media because it's it takes a bit of money to figure out that path forward. And unless you're funded, do not go into debt with paid media. Um, but I mean, I think on the other hand, it, you know, for anybody that's starting up a business, I mean, you also need to be very realistic 
about the expectations and the strategy strategy in which you're utilizing to start that business, right? So, you know, as a as a young man, I mean, I've I've been involved in you know we talked a little bit about the watches, and I've made everything very simple. Like, yeah, I had a deal. This guy gave me some watches, but it wasn't as cut of, cut and dry as that, right? I had to make some some sacrifices in order to get those watches, um, which really started that business. And there's been a, a bunch of different businesses that I've been involved in along the way where, you know, things were tight for me and I was bootstrapped and I had to really, you know, make some, some, some long and hard decisions on what I wanted to do to get the business up and running. Right. So I, while I'm, um, I'm certainly not the most aggressive personality when it comes to business, I also understand that if you're overly risk adverse, um, you know, especially being an entrepreneur, it's it's very difficult to be successful because there are those that are willing to take those chances to really push their business to the next level. Support for today's podcast comes from our friends at Simpler, a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your e-commerce store. It works with your existing email and chat platforms, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler's network of on-demand, US-based Simpler specialists are standing by to answer your customers' most common questions. Set it up for free today and then turn it on or off depending on your customer volume. You only pay $2.25 for every resolution. There are no hidden fees, contracts, or minimums. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat around the clock with Simpler specialists. Start your free 7-day trial at simpler.ai slash honest. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I slash H-O-N-E-S-T. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're okay with kind of standing still, you're not going to grow at all. Like Even your organic growth might start to top out when it gets to the end of what you can do. You got to take a little bit of risk in your business. Uh, And then it's just kind of like your appetite of how you can kind of stomach it. That's right. Some people can stomach it more. Some people can't. Luckily, I have a business partner that balances me out because I'm a. I believe everything's going to work itself out, which is just a trait I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, and I've been in that situation too before, right? Where I'm like, this is definitely going to work itself out, and then you know, six months later, it's like, well, hasn't worked itself out yet. So what do we do from here? <laughs> that was a very expensive lesson. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, you know, but that's, that's, that's the amazing thing about, you know, being an entrepreneur and being in business, um, you know, those, those lessons, while they're expensive, um, they're also, assuming you, you, assuming you take away the right information from those lessons, they're also highly valuable, right? I, I look at them and, I, and they're, they're actually more valuable than, than even making money in some of these businesses, because I look at what I could have potentially earned with the, you know, with the business that I was starting. and. Um, and I'm like, wow, yeah, this this would have been an okay business. I could have made some money here, but on the other hand, you know, maybe I made some decisions that um, weren't necessarily the right decision for the business. But I learned and was able to essentially, you know, take those decisions and channel them in a different direction in a different business that I started, which became highly successful because of the you know the, the behind the scenes moves that I was making, and a lot of that's from the lessons that I learned in some of these smaller businesses. Oh. So there's, you know, information is is obviously truly valuable. Yeah, you can't put a price on it. So just trying to kind of pivot a little bit here. Um, we're huge fans of Shopify on this show. I am personally, um, and I believe a lot of our audience probably has Shopify stores. So let's do a quick like compare and contrast between the Shopify platform 
in kind of like an end in solution like you guys offer just to you know show show the people like what what else is out there sure well you know not i will say with shopify um i know a lot of their team personally um you know over the years again having been in e-commerce and and you know the lead gen business and and really all forms of media i mean i've made some relationships with people that work at shopify i've been to their headquarters um in ottawa um, they've built an amazing business. So let, let me just start by saying that they've built an amazing business. Um, where I think we differ is where Shopify basically made a, you know, sort of a, a plug and play model for really anybody that wants to be in e-commerce. Um, we've basically built systems um, for those that are a little more experienced, right? So um, focusing on, you know, individuals or groups that maybe are going from a you know, running a small e-commerce business to like a mid a mid tier e-commerce business. Um, you know, and, and a lot of that's based on revenue, but also based on you know the the size of your team and also the skill sets that that you possess internally. Um, so you know, when we started building our software six and a half years ago, we built it out with with you know three main and you know key factors. Um, and you know, the first one was speed, right? So I know that today, the way that our systems were built, our pages, um, you know, our backend will essentially outperform any other systems out there, right? In terms of like load speeds, um, you know, the way in which um, users can interact with the pages, et cetera. So, you know, that was sort of the first thing that we really spent a lot of time focusing on is how could we create a product that will essentially allow our load speeds to beat any of those that are on the, on the market. And I think you know we did a really good job of accomplishing that. Um, the second was that as a as a business, you know, we really focused a lot of our time and efforts in selling products outside of the of the U.S. And while obviously the U.S. is an amazing amazing market for e-commerce, you know, there's billions of people that are living outside of the U.S. that we wanted to have the ability to sell sell to for for a number of different reasons. I mean, um, you know, the most obvious one being that. When the U.S. is overcrowded and highly competitive, there are other countries that you may find, um, you know, lower price points on media. For for example, um, being one of them. Two, um, we also use strategies um, where we're utilizing influencers, and um, you know, I found over the years that we could find and build relationships with a lot of influencers outside of the U.S. at either a much lower cost or in some instances where they're basically just willing to work with us for free because they want to, they, they want to build up their, you know, their, their reputation, um, you know, and, and, and it's worked out really well for us. Um, so we've, you know, we've built the systems out, um, you know, keeping that in mind that everything we were doing was going to basically run outside of the U S um, you know, from the way that customer service works to the way that our fulfillment centers integrate into our systems, we built a, a completely different um, approach than what Shopify was doing. And then I think the third one um, was really looking at Shopify and and what ClickFunnels was doing and saying to ourselves, like, here are two very different products. They solve, um, you know, they solve probably some of the most important problems that individuals in the e-commerce space would really face. Um, you know, when they're building out their, you know, their product offerings, why don't we bring, you know, the best of each of, of those worlds together and build them within one system? Absolutely. I'm a big fan of uh, 
Russell here. I've definitely recommended Dotcom Secrets before. And if you are unfamiliar with ClickFunnels, it's a nice software. Um, I feel his software is specifically targeted more towards uh, consulting. I don't know if you'd agree with that or not. Um, but uh, I would love to kind of explore that a bit more with you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ClickFunnels is, you know, I th- was basically built on the backbone of selling information. Right. So, you know, if you look at Shopify, I mean, Shopify was clearly built with the purpose of being able to bring in any, you know, any entrepreneur, small business, et cetera, and allow them to, you know, within a few clicks to have an e-commerce store up and running. ClickFunnels was really built um, sort of the, you know, on the opposite spectrum of where Shopify was living, basically saying, if you're in the information business, here's a tool that you can utilize to launch your info products. you know how they differ. I mean, Shopify is a more complete solution. Um, you know, whereas ClickFunnels and, and what I love about ClickFunnels um, and what I found really interesting about what they had built early on is the drag the drag and drop functionality, right? So basically, you can you can have an optimized um, site up within you know within a day, and basically within that site because of the drag and drop functionality, um, you can make all of your changes. You can make language changes. You can make design changes. You can make um, other op- optimization checkouts on the checkout pages. Um, you know, within a matter of a few minutes, which makes everything very easy. And what I think you know they started to do is where they really focused a lot of their efforts initially. Um, you know, in the information space, um, they, they obviously saw um, the success that Shopify was happening, and they started to gear a lot of the you know. The V2, the next, the next stage of their, of their product development, um, focusing around e-commerce. Yeah, uh, there's definitely um, a pretty similar application out there in the Shopify ecosystem. Cart Hook yep. is a Shopify plugin that mimics some of the uh, stuff that .com secret. Well, not .com secret. Sorry, that's the book uh, that ClickFunnels does, um, and the kind of the methodologies behind it. Um, some it it really makes since if you've got like a more specific product line so say for like a clothing brand it doesn't make a lot of sense but if you've got like one particular product and then another one that's very similar uh that makes a lot more sense yeah chase i mean that's uh yeah i mean well said on that so i mean i think um you know and and i will take a step back and, and even say with our business so really for us where we've where we found success um is essentially you know, building out individual product offerings. We call them we call them funnels, right? Um, Click funnels obviously, you know, had had a similar concept in, in the way in which that they were looking at these products that they were building out. And basically, um, each product that we sell is built into a um, you know a, a simple website or a funnel, if you you know, if I may, um, where basically we're pushing consumers to those funnels. Um, by utilizing certain tactics on Facebook or Instagram or Google, et cetera. And we're really focusing on that one hero product. So we're not pushing them to a, an e-commerce storefront. We're basically just push, pushing them to a page that that whole page is built and designed around to get them to purchase that one product. right? And then once they've purchased that product, we basically have a sales flow right, or what we now call a funnel where we're then selling them similar type products um, you know, and we're basically looking for a certain percentage of of people to take 
um, you know, what we would call like the, you know, the, the step two within the funnel, right? This, the second offer that we're presenting them. And then obviously there's a third offer that we present them. And we're basically looking at percentages, which assuming we hit our metrics based on the way that we're optimizing our pages, um, allow us to, you know, to, to make money on that first touch sale. Absolutely. So I guess this is a great time to bring up like, what is the difference between performance marketing and just like, I'm running Google ads? For performance marketers, right? And my background has always been in, um, you know, what we call like cost per acquisition. Um, so CPA marketing. Basically, what it means is that if, if you're working with us as, for instance, as a client, because we also do work with certain groups um, where we take on clients, if you're working with us, we do everything based on a, a, a you know an acquisition cost, right? So, for instance, if if you're working with an agency, um, typically the way agencies work are on a cost plus model. So, they basically say, hey, we're planning to spend you know fifty thousand uh, dollars on Facebook this month, and you know for that fifty thousand um, dollars in spend, um, we're going to deliver X, Y, and Z, and based on that we collect a certain percentage of that spend that we essentially do on your behalf, right? But there's, there's no guarantee beyond that if they can actually deliver. Um, and it's not a bad model at all, but there's, there's no delivery guarantee. Whereas on a performance base, we only make money if we deliver. So, you know, we don't discuss what the, the overall budget is or where we can have a conversation about the budget, but our goal isn't to spend $50,000 uh, of our client's money, our goal is to say, um, here's your back-end profitability. Here's what our metrics look like. Um, we know that you're, you're working on a desired margin, and therefore, um, let's come up with a cost per acquisition that works for all of us. And our goal then is to work to achieve that cost per acquisition. And if we do so, any of the money that's made in between the agreed CPA and what we're paying for on the media side basically becomes our margin. So if, if we do a really good job um, at buying that media, we could obviously be highly profitable. If we're not doing such a good job, then maybe we're, we're still running um, the product offering, but we're running it at a lower margin. And if we're not successful at all, then basically we're losing money and it's our jobs to then go back and optimize. But our clients aren't actually having to cover those losses for us, right? Whereas with an agency, an agency can come back to you and basically say, hey, we, we spent the $50,000 budget. We got, you, uh, we got you 20 sales. So now your acquisition cost is X. And you know, based on backend metrics, you probably weren't profitable, but we still need to be paid our feed anyway, because that's how the contract reads, right? And that's what we agreed to. So this model basically says, we're going to take all of the risk on buying the media. And if we're not successful, you don't lose any money. However, if we are highly successful, we get to participate by potentially making more in terms of the margin, right? That, that spread of what the media is costing us versus what you're paying. Let's be honest today. 
all of your customers are going to have questions. And what are you doing to manage all those questions? Do you have a help desk for your business? One of our sponsors of today's episode is Gorgeous. And Gorgeous is the number one rated help desk for e-commerce. It integrates seamlessly with Shopify. We have installed it on a bunch of stores. It's also used by brands like Movement and Rothy's. And what it does is it takes all of your customer insights and information, brings it into one amazing dashboard so you can solve their problem as quickly as possible. If you want to give Gorgeous a try, visit gorgeous.link slash honest. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S dot L-I-N-K slash H-O-N-E-S-T to get your second month free. Absolutely. And so I, you know, if I'm sitting here as a small business owner, I'm like, this sounds great. You know, I don't have to pay and you know, everything's good. I want to point out two things. One of them is something I know, and then one of them I'm Assuming, so we'll see if I'm right. So one, uh, the client is still paying for the media spend. Well, yes, yes and no. They're paying in the sense that every time we drive a sale, they're paying us for that sale. But in, but they're not paying unless we actually deliver for them. So if there's no sales generated, they're not paying. We we as a company we cover the spend ourselves. Okay. And then my next question is. You probably have a particular type of client. Some like I'm assuming they're well into their business life cycle. They've got a very good product market fit. I'm assuming you're not taking on everybody. It's interesting. If I look at at my career, and I've been doing CPA marketing now for the last um, last 14 years, I've worked with so many different clients. And if I look back, um, you know, at the, the third-party clients that I've worked with over the years, there's there's two groups um, in particular that I can think of that have been highly successful, and both of them were groups that I basically started with. Um, they, you know, they had some experience with building out offerings online, but basically had never run under the CPA model. Both businesses were bootstrapped, um, but both of them to date have been my my most successful clients, right? And I think a lot of that's because, um, just because of the way in which we work together, we, we formed a really good relationship. They looked at me as sort of a partner in their business and vice versa. Um, you know, in the very early stages when we started working together, um, while they both were living in California, I'm here in New York, um, you know, they came to visit me a few times. I went out to visit them. I really understood their business. Um, they understood what, what you know, what I needed and what my team needed to be successful. And because I think we works, work together so well, um, you know, the businesses were both able to grow and scale way beyond probably um, what either of us thought we could do together. Um, and I've had some clients, you know, on the, on, on the opposite spectrum of that, I've had some clients who have tons of experience in marketing, maybe not necessarily CPA marketing, but in marketing, um, you know, they've come to the table with capital, They've had some great product ideas, but for whatever reason, like we just weren't able to execute uh, on a high level. And I, I think a lot of that comes down to, um, you know, commitment, right? Putting that, putting the time and effort and energy into really building your business. And um, you know, I think for a lot of of younger entrepreneurs, and you know, young, I mean, not necessarily in age, but just people that are starting out. Um, you know, they're, they're missing at least in the ones that have, you know struggles in terms of being successful, I feel that they're always missing some part of their business, right? Um, 
you know, whether it's the dedication or the diligence, um, you know, and by that, I mean, um, you know, where I've dealt with groups who they have a job and then they also want to be an entrepreneur and they want to start building things, but they're not necessarily willing to go all in to back themselves. Um, you know, I, I found that working with those types of groups, at least in my experience has always been difficult, but if it's, if it's somebody that's, um, you know, willing to go all in the business, we can typically work with them. And even with, you know, even with the, the product ideas and, and offerings, et cetera, like if we need to make changes and as long as everybody's willing to sort of, um, you know, follow that same roadmap to being successful, it, it usually will work itself out in the end. Absolutely. I, I like how you were being honest saying, you know, it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, that's, I, I appreciate the honesty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, that's, uh, I mean, that's kind of the truth of it, right? I mean, it, it does. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of different people um, over the years, um, you know, become highly successful by jumping right in and just sort of going. Um, yet I've seen lots that, that haven't been. And, and um, you know, as I said, I mean, I think my, my two biggest clients over the years are, if I, if I look at it in terms of just revenue, what we've done together, are probably those two groups um, that I worked with from years back, who once they found some success, they basically just stuck to a, a sort of blueprint that they built with the first offering and said, we're going to continue to build things that are very similar to what we've done in the past. And while the market is evolving, we'll continue to evolve with it, but we know what works for us and we won't try to deviate from what's been successful. Yeah. Okay. So I want to I want to highlight that real quick because that is like a key topic to uh, that book, Good to Great. I don't know if you've ever read that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. It's okay. So you start a successful business, and then the number one way people ruin successful businesses is by starting other businesses or buying other businesses that aren't similar. Yes, <laughs> I can tell you from personal experience. <laughs> yeah, the, the the systems are all completely different. Uh, you have to learn something. The learning curves off. Like that's the number one reason that ruins good businesses is like they start acquiring all sorts of crazy stuff. And I think one of the examples in the book uh, was a, it was like R.J. Reynolds or something. Uh, they were like buying. You know that's a tobacco company, a sin product, as you will. Um, but then they like bought like something that was like completely like out of there. It was like cereal or something. They bought Nestle. I'm like something like that. And then they sold it for a loss a couple of years later because they realized like they didn't understand that at all. Like they knew sin products. They knew how to market that. I think they kept chocolate like because it was close enough. But like they had to get rid of all this other stuff because it was so different. Chase, like as an entrepreneur, right? And I, I feel like I've I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. Um, I can tell you that um, when I'm very focused on a business and that's all I think about, the business is generally very successful. Um, but when... And, and we all are, right? Like We all at some point become guilty of shiny object syndrome. Um, when that kicks in and you start looking at all these different opportunities that come your way, and I think you know, the, the more successful you become, the more opportunity, like naturally, the more, the more opportunities that just come your way. And once you start trying to take on too many new things and you're going down all these different paths, not only do those businesses suffer, but the reality is, is that your core business also suffers, right? I mean, unless you have groups of people that are going to come in and can run these businesses for you, it's very hard to start managing all these different businesses at a high level 
And the reality is, is to be successful, um, I mean, you need, you need to be totally into the business, right? Um, and, it, and I mean, it's happened to, to me so many different times. I mean, even, even in the last six and a half years with DFO, you know, we've tried to diversify into different businesses at, at, at times. And basically what happens is we, we wind up failing and coming back to our core business and then spending more time on what our core business is and optimizing around that. And that's where we always find the most success. So, you know, what I'll do with these other opportunities is either pass on them or I try to find other partners, right, that we could potentially do something with that can take these opportunities on and really run them, you know, for us, where we're then just a, a small piece of the business, right? So this way we don't have to be, you know, focusing tons of attention on these new businesses. We can stay all in on our business and then let those other groups of people focus on, you know, the, you know, the new business at hand. Absolutely. Right. And I, I think that so far, you know, in doing that over the last few years, that model has worked out way better for us, um, you know, for a number of different reasons. And I think it's really also allowed us to stay focused on, you know, what we're doing as DFO and, and really where we want to go, you know, over the next two years, three years, five years, et cetera. Absolutely. So before we go here, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. We had a lot of fun conversations. Um, before before uh, we sign off here, is there anything that we haven't discussed that you think would be worthwhile for our audience? Well, yeah, we touched on some really interesting points. Um, you know, and what I, and what I'd say is, um, you know, you, you had mentioned that you had um, you know a lot of entrepreneurs that are that are here and they're getting into e-commerce or in e-commerce and utilizing Shopify. Um, you know what I what I've learned about e-commerce over the years is that you know there's there's going to be a lot of ups and downs and that things are things are changing and they're constantly changing and they're evolving very quickly. Um, and I think what I just would want to say is that um, if you believe in your business and you really believe in what you're doing and you're putting the work in um, and you have you know you have great product or great concepts for products, don't get frustrated with what's happening in the market, especially right now because um, you know Facebook. Over the last year or so, um, and I know a lot of people are buying traffic off Facebook. Facebook has been extremely difficult to work with um, for a number of different reasons, right? Um, some of it could potentially be some of our business models. Um, you know, other reasons are because Facebook is just under a ton of scrutiny right now, and they're making a lot of changes. And therefore, you know, they've hired lots of new people who who are just not familiar with you know, the, the, the processes and procedures of Facebook itself. And I can see a lot of mistakes being made um, across the platform. Um, I, I think at some point this will all regularize itself. And, you know, I, it's, you just have to be patient, right? Because I, I hear, I feel, and I hear a lot of people right now that are, that are quite frustrated and almost throwing their hands up in the air, like, Hey, I built this business and you know, now I'm having some issues with Facebook. I don't know what to do. So I'd say one is, you know, Facebook is, is still constantly growing in terms of the people that are using the platform, or I'd say Facebook and Instagram and their different product offerings. So the traffic is certainly there. Two, so I'd say just outside of that, make sure that you are diversified, right? I mean, if, if your strategy has been heavily relying on Facebook to get traffic, diversify outside of traffic. Um, you know, I've, I've talked about Google and I can tell you that for us as a business, um, you know, Google has been a great source of traffic for us. Um, the native platforms 
Um, you know, so Taboola and Outbrain have also been highly successful for us. But also, if, if you're selling certain types of products, especially like niche products, um, you know, don't be afraid to to reach out to direct sites and work deals with them. Because believe me, just as as you know, we're all looking to figure out different ways to you know to, to find traffic and to monetize what we're doing. A lot of these sites are doing the same thing, and they're basically just sitting around, like waiting for the right opportunity to come to them for a product that may really resonate well with with their um, with their audience. Awesome! Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their journey and knowledge with us today. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our businesses. Links and more information will be available in the show notes as well. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, feel free to reach out and learn more at electriceye.io slash connect. Also, make sure you subscribe and leave an amazing review. Thank you.